0: and the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad anybody can do that you can do that without God the high road is choosing between the good and the best and always choosing the best
1: welcome to the Baptist Friends podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton where we gather around truth Friendship Emerald Evangelism. This episode is taken from the Shepherd's Summit hosted by Pastor Clarence Sexton. Pastors and Christian workers are encouraged to join us live at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays, Eastern Standard Time. For more information, please email us at pastor at com.
0: Our Father, we thank Thee for this day. We thank Thee, Lord God, for the opportunity to be a part of this Shepherd's Summit. And we pray for those who are joining us as we talk together and discuss these things, we hope that it'll be a great blessing and encouragement to all of us. And may Christ be glorified. In His name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin with you with the uh, book of Jude. I want you, if you have your Bible with you, and or New Testament, to turn there to the book of Jude. Before I get into that, I want to deal with the questions that have been sent in. and we reversing things a little bit I have some things I want to discuss with you from from the book of Jude but uh, we want to know that you're all able to be with us and uh, guiding helper come along around the helper please sir very good and one of the questions is what are some helpful ways you have found to teach and train your key people especially with the demands on people's time that's one of the questions that comes and I always go to the way Christ taught His disciples. You remember the Lord called people to Himself. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible says where it all started. He called them to Himself, then He sent them forth to preach. And as He called them to Himself, then He trained them, and they got His passion and His purpose. In other words, you can't help people until they really know your heart and Um, They don't understand what you're trying to accomplish. And sometimes pastors are not definitive enough. We don't speak plainly enough. We don't give it in terms that people understand. And uh, we really need to to help people get hold of that. So if the question is, what are some ways uh, you have found to teach and train your key people, especially with the demands on people's time, make the use as much as possible make the use of the meetings you already have you don't want to create a situation where people are out again and again and again so uh you know people sometimes just like to have meetings i don't like to have meetings i like to use the meetings we have to try to teach as much as possible and and to give as much information as possible to people while i have them there for instance uh, we're having we have uh, rather extensive deacons meetings on saturday but I'll have a deacon's meeting on a Wednesday evening after the service. I don't like to have meetings before the service that may have some controversy or some question brought up because I'm guarding my own spirit to preach and teach the Word of God. But anyway, um, you're bringing them along, sharing your heart and your passion. Do they know you? Do they know what you're trying to do? Do they understand? If you have um, four or five statements that you make that express uh, your intent. You know, you c- can tell what people believe by what they say and emphasize. And uh, I could tell you, after listening to you for a few minutes, I can tell you what you're trying to accomplish, because where you're placing the emphasis is the key to all of that. Then another question comes, Is it a good idea for a church family to do something to honor the police during this time? That uh, certainly, certainly it is. Uh, we ought to honor the police. We're having a month we're setting aside as, um, as a time to put that emphasis, uh, to show appreciation, an appreciation month for the police. And we're doing a full page ad in the Knoxville newspaper about it. I want people to know where we stand, and we're standing with these people and for these people. That's very important. I think it's important for you to make, make your, your feelings known there. What books do you recommend about American history? Well, that's a big question, you know, uh, a big question. I'm reading a book now by John Machen on the American gospel and how it's woven in and out. I've got uh, a brief book I'm reading on uh, George Whitfield and the printer, the preacher and the printer. I think that's a helpful thing. But uh, just do all you can to learn about your country. And you ought to understand how it was formed and and how we got our Constitution and how it had to be ratified. And you ought to understand that there were nine states of the original 13 states that had a state church. And um, the Baptist forefathers that we have, uh, led by John Leland, uh, were not going to ratify the Constitution unless they amended it. So he got a promise that they would amend the Constitution. That's where we got the the, uh, amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And the First Amendment, of course, guarantees our freedom in worship. But you ought to know all these things if you're a Christian and in America. Not all of you listening today and a part of this are Americans, but we're talking just a little bit about America here. Another question is, How as a pastor do I make the distinction between contending for the faith and contending for uh, politics or an earthly government uh, when I should do both? Well, your citizenship is in heaven. And you're a Christian. You are the voice of truth. And may God help you. This is very important. Uh, Again, I'm going back to something I've recommended to you before. I believe that uh, Urban Lutzer has has a gift of discernment. I wouldn't have agreed with everything he did at the Moody Church for all those years he was there, but I appreciated his personal ministry. And his writings have been a great help to me. His book on Hitler's cross... His book on Hitler's cross is an amazing book, especially as it concludes in the last chapter when Germany had traded the swastika for the cross, and what had become, um, what they would call, I guess, patriotic in Germany, was was co- uh, it was equal or synonymous with their faith, and uh, their faith got lost in their political drum beating. And Hitler was, you know, I think empowered by the devil and, um, and there was a whole lot of supernatural things going on there, but the nation was betrayed and led astray and deceived and lived in that deception. Read that book. Read the last chapter. It'll really wake you up uh, for what's going on now in America. I'm about to make a, a, a video about praying for our president and how how much we should be working trying to get him elected. And I'm walking a thin line because the truth of the matter is uh, it's not about American politics. It's about our country and honoring God. And as we honor God, uh, we're praying for God's blessing. So just a few comments there. I know some pastors that take contending for the faith to mean to be contentious, as contentious as possible about everything. Well, I've, I've seen that element and that's not what I am. I've made the theme of all we're doing speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. And I think you ought to take something like that. And you know what you're framing, you're framing what your people are saying. Um, I, I, I make no, no hiding place about this. I try to frame what our people are going to say when they're leaving, when they're leaving the service at the end of the service. And so, what happens there is I may rehearse something, or say something, or give a phrase about something that uh, God's blessed us in a wonderful way this day. I want people to say, "God's blessed us in a wonderful way this day." Whatever you want to emphasize, emphasize, and. Uh, I don't believe in starting the service or ending the service in a cranky kind of a way. Um, It ought to be a positive up note thing. And so you're trying to do that as you begin and end. Somewhere in there, you're going to have to deal with some things, no doubt, from time to time. But we're going to talk about contending for the faith because that's what we're dealing with in the book of Jude. And I'll tell you what uh, conviction I have about it. How can I contend without being contentious? Well, you know, there are just some people you don't want to be around. They're just, their disposition, um, I think, is in conflict with what they say their position is. You know, people who are premillennial, pre-tribulation believers in the second coming of the Lord are accused of being negative people. What could be negative about seeing Jesus Christ? And so... I think we take those same things to heart in our ministries. My wife needs help knowing how to help the ladies of our church at this time. Do you have any advice as to how I can help my wife to be a help to the families of our church? Well, I have this advice. Don't make your wife the pastor. Don't make your wife the target. Don't make your wife the person that they shoot at and the bullets hit. Um, keep her out of the line of fire. It's just silly to do that and to put her in the line of fire. If there's a way that she wants to help and lead and you can help her, may God guide you to do that. Um, you'll have more trouble out of women than you will men. Uh, you want me to go into that a minute? Good. I see you're nodding your heads. Um, I love my wife, I love the ladies of our church and what God is doing, but since the time of Adam and Eve, the woman has wanted to rule over the man. Now read it for yourself, read Genesis chapter 3 and then Genesis chapter 4 and what God did to deal with the lady. Um, It wasn't that way before sin entered the bloodstream of human, human beings, but. It is a conflict. There's, there's so much that we see good about women. Some women rule. <clears throat> I, I've studied the life of Elizabeth I of England, and uh, I, I especially like a book written about her building an empire. And, uh, <clears throat> and the empire she built uh, is noted in this book. And there's things to admire about her. But if you're talking about women helping or women leading, it's two different things. Um, never criticize your wife in public. Um, we're having some difficulty here with this Zoom, and uh, we need, we need to help. I hope you're still getting it, but I don't know what's going on here. Can you get some help, please? And uh, Very good. Good. If you need somebody to help you. It may be a technical thing we've got going on here. Okay? Back to, back to normal? Yeah. Good. Sorry. But don't, don't be a critic of your wife in public. Don't correct her in public. You're leaving room for the devil to get some crack in between you and your wife, and you have to be one. That's a very important question, but sometimes we have a tendency, and I have this tendency to say more than we need to say, Uh, because people are presumptive. All of us are that way, and we assume things. Um, Some nationalities are just, I think, brought up innately to think that way. If you hint at something or say something, they believe they take the thing as far as possible. It's just the personality some people have. I believe that's why Jesus, one of the reasons he said, let your yea be yea, your nay, nay, you know. So keep it that way. Try to keep it simple. Keep it clean. Keep it positive. Keep it clean. Now, the question is, how do I get myself ready to contend? Uh, we live in such a tolerant time, speaking the truth in love. It's hard to help people understand that we are under attack, that we must stand up and speak out. Can you suggest some things That can help people during this time. Well, let me read something to you. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, 2 Chronicles just for a moment. In 2 Chronicles, the Lord makes a profound statement to his people. Let me just read it from verse 15 forward. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles, chapter chapter 36, begin with verse 15, the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. So God sent messengers. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised His words and misused His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people, till there was no remedy. I want you to mark that, no remedy. They reached a place where there was no remedy. They had to be destroyed. Therefore He brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young men or maidens or old men or him that stooped for age, he gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God And break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And verse 21 says, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and 10. God said, I, I saw my people who reached a place where there was no longer a remedy. They crossed the line. Now here's the question you've got to face, and don't be flipping about it with your people. Have we crossed the line in America? Have we really crossed the line? Is there a point of no return? Now, the Old Testament prophets recognized that. Habakkuk recognized that. And he said, God said, we're going to destroy. I'm going to destroy destroy Judah and the southern kingdom. And he changed his prayer. His prayer was now, in wrath, remember mercy. The doom is coming. We can't keep it from happening. So in wrath, remember mercy. Now I don't know, I don't know when America or our country will cross the line and God says, that's enough. That's enough. That baby, that baby murdered, that's it. That crime against humanity, that's it. Uh, That nonsense in church, that's it. But I believe there's a point of no return. And you and I are preaching and teaching God's Word in a time like this. So, uh, I want to show you something. I want you to look at the book of Jude. This is my intent today, to get you to the book of Jude. And I want to deal with it and what we're doing. I want to remind you of something I've sent some of you who asked for it, uh, a list of things that God says about what we can do for one another, that we're to love one another and that we are members one of another, that we minister one to another, that we serve one another, that we bear one another's burdens, that we forgive one another, that we admonish one another, that we are taught to love one another, we consider one another, we speak not evil of one another, we confess our faults one to another, having compassion one on another, using hospitality one to another. And I think we need to rehearse these things to our people. This is... This is a very critical time. I'm going to send all of you who want it this book I've written on Jude. You just have to request it. It's called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. It's Bible studies on the book of Jude. Years ago, years ago, I heard a man by the name of B. Gray Allison. And B. Gray Allison was a seminary professor, and I admired him as a great, strong, fundamental man. And uh, his favorite thing was to teach preachers the book of Jude. I was in my early 20s, and I never forgot the impact that Gray Allison made on my life teaching the book of Jude. So I'm trying to get you there because I know it's what we need at this moment. I'm going to read something from the introduction I wrote in this book. Just read it. John Koukensie, good to see you, buddy. John, helped me with some of these things in the day. Let me read here. Uh, First paragraph from the introduction. There are 27 books in the New Testament. The first four books are gospel records. The gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Following the gospel records, we come to the book of Acts, sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts deals with the continuing Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, working through the lives of the apostles and other followers of the Lamb, if we view the book of Acts as the book that deals with the beginning of the church age, and I think all of us would, it's my conviction that the church started with Christ and His disciples and was empowered at Pentecost. So, with the work of the apostles, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, we ought to view the book of Jude as the end of the church age. The church age had a beginning. The church age has an ending. And so Jude deals with the acts of the apostates, those who are empowered by the devil, turning from revealed truth, yet remaining with an appearance of belief. The book of Jude concerns itself with the acts of the apostates. Now, we're going to look at it in just a moment, but I want to tell you some of the things we find That We find in verse 1, the service of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, the common salvation. Again in verse 3, earnestly contending for the faith. In verse 3, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Our faith has been once delivered, but it must be contended for in every generation. I think we've forgotten that this is a day when we have to contend. Not exist, but contend. The fight is on. We're in it. We're in it. Verse 6 of Jude, the judgment of the great day. Verse 11, the way of Cain. Verse 11, the heir of Balaam. Verse 11, the gainsaying of Kor. Verse 13, the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 16, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So people know how to be winsome and then to use that for the devil. The seductive spirit of the devil is alive and well in so many people's lives. Then God talks about praying in the Holy Ghost. He talks about it should be mockers in the last time. Mockers. Who are mockers in the last time? And then verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Verse 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. Verse 23, pulling them out of the fire. Verse 24, him that is able to keep you from falling. And verse 25, the only wise God, our Savior. The book of Jude will help us to come to an understanding of the term apostate. Declaring that I am a Christian means I have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive my sin, and by faith received Jesus Christ as Savior. Salvation is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 21. I am seeking to live my life by the truth of God's Word. Now get this. An apostate is someone who has turned from revealed truth. An apostate stands back from the truth. An apostate... Apostasy is a subtle rejection of essentials while maintaining the outward form of belief. An apostate is not a Christian. An apostate is someone who is saved. An an apostate is not someone who is saved and then loses his salvation because that's an impossibility. The Lord saves us and keeps us saved. An apostate looks at revealed truth. He is not acting in ignorance. He sees the truth. He knows the message of truth. And then He turns from that message. And so God warns us in the book of Jude about apostasy. That's where we find ourselves living. Jude forms the hallway into the book of the Revelation. And I've written in this introduction here, in the vestibule of the hallway leading to the book of the Revelation, we come to see these pictures of apostates. We know that most of the book of Revelation deals with the tribulation, and God tells us what the world is going to go through when the church is removed. But what happens before the church is removed? What's it like living in this apostate time? And leading through the book of Jude to the Revelation, It's God's way of leading us to the teaching of last things we find in the Bible. So, uh, I want to talk to you and deal with this subject of what God says in the book of Jude. If you've got the New Testament there with you, I want you to look at it just a moment and have your Bible open to the book of Jude. Um, So many things to say. The table of contents in the book, and I want you to have the book, and I want you to use the book. You can teach it to your people. But there's a chapter on the introduction and uh, sanctified by God the Father. A chapter on mercy, a chapter on earnestly contending for the faith. There's a chapter on setting forth for an example, the filthy dreamers. Um, the Lord's rebuke of thee, brute beast. the blackness of darkness forever. On the second coming of Christ is a chapter. They do not have the Holy Spirit. This is the thing that characterizes them. They do not have the Holy Spirit. Living right in a wrong world. Having compassion making a difference. The fact that He is able. And then I put two appendixes here. One on Hugh Latimer and his faithfulness to God and one on Lady Jane Gray and her faithfulness to God. Now I want to show you something. There's a mistake here that most people have. that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, most people study the book of Jude, and they say, well, Jude took pen in hand under the inspiration of the Spirit of God and was going to write about the common salvation. Then he changed the subject. No, no, no. What he's saying here is, in order for us to have the message of the common salvation, we must contend for the faith. Are we contending for the faith? This is a book about contending for the faith. And so, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. And he tells us why. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God unto lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give an illustration. The fact of the matter is, the the people who are, are eating away and destroying the foundation of our nation, are already in it. They're already here. They're already a part of the fabric woven into our nation. These these anarchists, these people in the streets, uh, this nonsense about Black Lives Matter. By the way, get up with some courage in your pulpit and read, just read the principles, as I told you last week, from Black Lives Matter. Take it like this. Pull it from your pocket and read. This is what Black Lives Matter has in their principal statements. We, meaning Black Lives Matter, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other by extended families and villages that will collectively care for one another, especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. In other words, we're going to destroy and disrupt the nuclear family. That's the last thing we need. We're self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege. In other words, we want to do everything to disrupt the idea that if you're biologically a man, you can say you're a woman, we want you to be able to do that. If you're biologically a woman and you want to transgender and say you're a man, you can do that. We're going to fight for you on that to disrupt anything we can. Read it to them. Then their third thing is we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. In other words, what we're used to, what we find in the Word of God, which existed for thousands of years. And when we gather, we do so. With the intention of freeing ourselves from this, and this thinking, rather, the belief that all the world is heterosexual. And uh, this is the the truth is what they're doing is they're trying trying to say, we want to promote transgender behavior. We want to promote promote homosexual and lesbian behavior until it becomes commonplace. Now you and I know that is not what our American heritage is all about. Now, that's just an illustration. That's not gospel preaching. That's not preaching. That's just as an American citizen. You say, these disruptors have to be dealt with. We love all people. We love all colors, all races, all creeds. We love all people because the Bible says, God so loved the world and we love them all. I'm using that as an illustration to say you already have apostate-minded people in your church are connected with your people. They're already there. They're in place. And they've been trained. They know how to say all the little cute Christian clichés. They know what the truth is supposed to be, but they're not willing to live under that truth and those principles. That doesn't mean you have to live every day of your life as a suspicious person, but Satan is cunning. And these things have been sown into the larger structure of what is called Christendom. And at the right moment, they'll break out and disrupt. And so, in order to keep preaching the gospel, and giving the Word of God to people, and the way of salvation, it is going to cost us something. Remember that. It is going to cost us something. If you think you can live in this time, and not pay a cost for being a Bible-believing Christian, then you've lost your mind. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be caustic. You don't have to be uh, you don't have to be somebody that pokes people in the face and tries to start fights. You don't start the fight. You stand for the truth. And the truth reveals where they are. That's what the book of Jude is about. And and I want you to get in it, let it get in you. I want to show you something in the book of Jude. I have uh, put some things here for you. Now, you know, um, for example, God gives examples of what He's done in judging people and dealing with people. This is a student guide or study guide that goes, goes with it. If you're going to contend for the faith, you have to, have to keep going. And the God says, remember, they've crept in unawares. Their condemnation was foretold. Their conduct should be marked. Think of this. Now, what's going on in our country? God says, Let me give you some examples. And He gives all the examples here in this one little chapter, the book of Jude, only 25 verses. He gives the example of Israel. He judged His own people. I read you a moment ago from the last chapter of Second Chronicles, where God says, You've crossed the line, there is no more remedy. There's nothing to heal you. You've crossed the line. And then he gives the example of angels that he judged. He expelled beautiful singing angels from heaven. And then he gives the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. And every time you hear the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, it all reminds you of what's going on in our country. So let me give you some things. You may want to write this down or you may want to get a copy of it. I wrote these things down for you. There are many things threatening America. Our government officials now have come to believe that the greatest threat to America is not not nuclear weapons or a dirty bomb. Uh, Some people are saying now because the, the, the virus that we're dealing with it might be disease or some sort of warfare with disease. But most people believe that we're headed toward a cyber war. That people have the ability to shut down a network that we rely on all across America for everything. But the greatest problem we face in America is not the threat of a cyber war, not in my opinion. It's that churches are silent and they should be doing what God's given them to do you can do what no one else can do, but you've got to have the courage to do it. Reading and studying the book of Jude will help you get that courage. For example, in 1962, in Engel versus Vitale, prayer was removed from schools in America. In other words, you can no longer talk to God in a taxpayer-supported school. Now, In 1973, in Roe v. Wade, abortion was legalized. And that is a great crime. And since that time, 20 million black babies have been aborted. If people care about black people, what about that? In 1980, in Stone v. Graham, they removed any posting of the Ten Commandments in any public place—courthouse, whatever—meaning schools. No more posting. In other words, you can't talk to God, you can't hear from God, you can't have God's Word. And then, in nineteen, or excuse me, in two thousand and three, in Lawrence and Garner versus the State of Texas the Supreme Court struck down all sodomy laws. Did you know that every state in all 50 states had laws against sodomy? It was against the law. When I was a student in college, in the late 60s and early 70s, there was a a book you had to have in freshman psychology that had one chapter in it on deviant behavior. Now, I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. Deviant behavior. There was an entire chapter, and there was more than 20 things listed in that book on deviant behavior. Things like incest, sexual things with family members, um, homosexuality, bestiality. These were things that the mores or moral standards of a civilized society would not accept. And so as college students, we studied these things that were acceptable, unacceptable uh, behavior. And from that, legislatures made laws forbidding these things, and that, and that was something we studied. Now, in 2003, all of that was struck down, all of it. In 2013, there was the legalization of same-sex marriage. Now, how much of this has God seen and knows, and how much of it has affected? our society, and been woven into our society. All of it. All of it. Now, if you preach against some of these things, it's taking a biblical position, people might say to you, well, it's legal. Now, we're living in a country where it may be legal, but it's not biblical, and we still consider it immoral. So, that's that's an illustration that's only an illustration nationally about what's happened but we must stand guard vigilantly as pastors of our churches without without being people who are just always offensive in what we're saying and the way we're saying it our position must always be biblical and our disposition must always be Christ-like, speaking the truth in love. Now, I want to show you something else. When When you deal with the book of Jude, you're going to deal with certain things, and the Bible says that they're all classed in one category by not having the Spirit, not having the Holy Spirit. Now, you're going to have to deal with many things but they'll repeat themselves in one of three ways. You know, in the air of Balaam, and, uh, or as, as Balaam, as Cain, or as Kor. And those things are taught here in the book of Jude. They all reoccur that way. They, they come... They come up again and again and again. And so you must learn how to deal with what Kor did in the Bible in his rebellion. You must learn to deal with the false prophet Balaam and what he did and said and why he did it. You must learn to do that. And then you must learn to deal especially with the way of Cain and what that is. Um, I included in, in the book uh, a statement by A.T. Pearson, one of my favorite authors. And I recommend you that you read anything A.T. Pearson has, has, uh, has written because it will be a great help and encouragement to you. I'm going to let someone helping me here find that paragraph uh, under that because I want to read it to you. But understand, when you get, when you get prepared with the Bible, You're preparing for anything that will come up. It may take another name. It may show up in another dress, another form. But if it's been dealt with in God's Word, it's going to run its ugly head up again sometime in our lifetime. And so all these things are taking place in the end times. And as we're walking through this vestibule, coming to the revelation of Jesus Christ, going through this hallway of the book of Jude, God is equipping us giving us this information, and He's equipping us. I want to show you again the certain things that you do and and are always doing as we do this. So, I'm reading here from verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. In other words, you have to repeat things over and over and over. How that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels that, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Now that's what God said. Why does He use that as an example? Why? You see, we're not battling what we think we're battling. We're in a warfare and people are empowered in the, in the enemy's camp with supernatural power. It's beyond what humans can do. And the next verse says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Why does God use this? And why does He go on to say about Sodom and Gomorrah, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And so, you come down to verse 11, Woe unto them that have gone in the way of Cain! What is the way of Cain? Do you know how to tell your people what the way of Cain is? you know how to warn your people? There are people in your church that will rise up just like Cain and they'll follow the way of Cain. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. Why does God mention Balaam? What does He want us to know about Balaam? For reward and perished in the gang saying of Kor. He uses three Bible examples. And you need to know what those examples are. Read the biblical story. Get hold of the message because it will reappear time after time in opposition to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, according to A.T. A. Pearson, a famous Bible teacher, the real character and vile conspiracy are only hinted in the narrative in Numbers 22, verse 31. But the comments of Peter, Jude, and John lend new meaning to the whole story. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Jude chapter 1, verse 11, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Thus, not until we turn to the last of the 66 books, the very close of the whole volume of Scripture, do we know how much this soothsayer of Mesopotamia had to do with that awful plunge of Jehovah's people into the abyss of sensuality. In Numbers, the facts are registered of their sin and crime, followed by an obscure hint of Balaam's complicity with it. But in the final book of the Bible, finally withdraws. he finally withdraws the veil, God draws the veil and discloses his full agency as the chief conspirator. The word stumbling block in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, means literally that part of a trap wherein bait is laid and which, when touched by an animal, as it seizes the bait, causes the trap to spring up and shut so as to catch the prey. What a darkly suggestive word to describe that human bait of female charms that made this trap so seductively effectual. Here also, for the first time, we learn that Balaam sets a double snare, entangling Israel in idolatry as well as immorality. Idolatry as well as immorality. And you know what? Idolatry always comes before and then immorality. I just heard this week about someone who has gone into immorality, someone in the Lord's work. But before that happened, they had to be involved in idolatry. They made something their God other than God Almighty. All of this is dealt with in the warning God gives us before we get into the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jude provides for us this path that we can walk through and God gives us this truth that we need to see dealing with the real enemies in this time. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Jude that they're going to the blackness of darkness forever. Think of it, the blackness of darkness forever. And so... Are you warning people? Are you teaching your people? I want to recommend something to you. I can't tell you what to preach. And you can do better than I can do. All of you can be better preachers than I've ever been. But let me send you this book, The Earnestly Contending for the Faith. It's a time for boldness. Business as usual is not going to get it done. It is not going to get it done. And it's not just turning up the fuel. It's being dead to self, filled with the Holy Spirit, and trusting in God's power and nothing else to get God's work done. Fellas, we're in the last days. America may have crossed the line. The election that's coming up, What are the choices? I don't believe for a minute that Donald Trump is our Savior. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God could raise him up like He raised up Cyrus for His people. And I believe that. And we need to begin to pray and and work earnestly, give effort like never before. I mean, we cannot continue the same way we've continued it can't be done. Find, find the remnant of people in your church. There may be five. There may be six. It may be like the Lord and His disciples. It may be ten or twelve. Find them. Share the burden of your heart. Let them know there's got to be more passionate effort given, more dependence upon the Lord, and more intense, earnest prayer. And then they need to be taught from God's Word. I'm not making a list for you of what we need to do. I'm giving you God's list in the little book, one chapter, 25 verses of the book of Jude. And Jude says, if you want to be able to continue to preach and teach the common salvation, you must begin to earnestly contend for the faith. And when you earnestly contend for the faith, you're going to find out, that near you, perhaps people have crept in unawares. They're already in place. They're all ready to disrupt. They don't really have what you think they have. There's many who do, but some who do not. And you're going to see, you're going to see this rebellion of a core, a core, and you're going to see uh, this work of Cain. And in and, and, and a, a way of, they say, a salvation. And you're going to see um, the Arab, you're going to see Balaam. You're going to see, you're going to see these characters coming again and again and again as we're pressing toward the coming of the Lord. And he's coming. And my heart breaks because people are going into the blackness of darkness forever. I heard W.A. Crystal say something near the end of his ministry. And I disagreed with him. And he was one of my heroes. Oh, he preached. He preached through the whole Bible. His, his ministry was preaching from Genesis to Revelation. And he marked the day when he finished preaching to his church, the First Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, through the whole Bible. He was a fundamental champion. I heard him say at the Southern Baptist Convention back when I was a Southern Baptist uh, to, to liberal <coughs> professors, to liberal professors in seminaries, he said, you will fry in hell. I heard him say that, and they said, I thought, did he say what I just thought he said? There's 20,000 people here, and he said, these Christ-denying liberals teaching in seminary would fry in hell, and they said, just in case you didn't get it, I said, you seminary professors who are robbing these seminarians of their faith in God and God's Word, you will fry in hell. It shook everybody up. That's that's the meeting that I came out of and decided I'd become an independent Baptist and I'd become a part of the fellowship of free people, the fellowship of free pastors and free churches, independent, separated to the Lord. And when Dr. Criswell got near the end of his ministry, he made this statement. He said, I seriously doubt if more than half the people in the church I pastor, have really been born again. And I didn't agree with him. And do you know, I don't know who the lost, who the saved are, but I'm thinking more than ever, how many people are truly, truly lost and have some form of Christianity, some identity with Christian things And that's what Jude is warning us about. Take the warning. Take the heeding. Oh, may God guide us and help us. This is a day for courageous, the word is courageous, preaching. Courageous preaching. And we don't get courage without faith. It grows out of our faith. It's the faith that produces the courage Why do you think Elijah could go into Ahab's court and stand before this powerful man and his wife and preach with such courage? Because he was standing in the presence of God and he knew it. Why do you think Moses could go into Pharaoh's court and declare what God was going to do? Because he was standing in the presence of Almighty God and he knew it. He knew it. And this is the kind of preaching the kind of living that we have to have. I want to get you to the book of Jude. I want you to let me send you this book. You'll have to ask for it. You can study it in your church. You can take the Bible lessons. You can get the student handbook. And uh, you can order that. I'll send you the book. And you can teach the Word of God. And I want you to get it. Oh, brother, listen. The next few months, if we live, the Lord doesn't come. All the most critical days in the history of my lifetime what happens in this next election doesn't just reflect who's going to be the president of the United States it reflects whether or not Christians Christian people will rise up and live their convictions and you and I both know it's not a matter of choice any longer it has to be done it has to be done you are on the front line fire your weapon use your sword preach the word of god earnestly contend for the faith it's on us may god bless you and use you and empower you
1: thank you for joining us for this episode of the baptist friends podcast This episode was taken from the Shepherd Summit hosted by Pastor Clarence Sexton. Pastors and Christian workers are encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays, Eastern Standard Time. For more information, please email us at pastor at templebaptistchurch.com. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.